Miss Joseph, obviously. And this is season 31, episode three. What is masculine behavior and what is feminine behavior? So this probably would be one of the more controversial episode of this particular lecture series, but I think it's absolutely necessary to discuss what it's all about and these things in order to have a better understanding so that we can go into the rest of this lecture series so I can talk about even more controversial topics. For example, we're going to be discussing the ethics of cheating and what is ethical, what is unethical, and what is moral and what is immoral about cheating. And of course, you know, I could say that because I'm an FI trickster and don't really give a damn about morality that much. I'm an amoral person, which means morality is not my priority. It just isn't. However, ethics are my priority. So definitely uh, doing that plenty, etc. <laughs> Got my uh, son with me this evening. He's uh, looking at me like, Dad, what are you doing? And then just like smirking at me at the same time. All right, Mr. Smirks. Yep. He's got his little uh, stuffed uh, hedgehog with him, which is half stuffed animal, half uh, beanie baby. And it's his most favorite thing in the world. So he's ready for the show. Uh, hopefully you folks are ready for the show. So, yeah. Anyway, what constitutes masculine behavior or feminine behavior within the 16 types? And this is a bit of a rough topic overall because so many people have so many different opinions and uh Breaking it down into human nature is extremely hard because we have so much socialization and nurtural conditioning as a result of society, etc., which really directly impacts masculine and feminine behavior. And in episode four, we're actually going to be discussing societal conditioning and socialization so that we can come to more of a uh, macro understanding of masculine and feminine behavior in terms of what the expectations are from a societal point of view. So anyway, um, more on that later. But we got to first start with the micro about how things work from, uh, you know, the microcosm of the 16 types. And we've discussed yesterday about how feminine behavior is largely connected to informative expression style it's also connected to extrovert intuition, uh, slash introverted sensing, uh, cognitive access, and then uh, masculine behavior is more extroverted sensing, introverted intuition, cognitive access with direct expression style. And those two things are largely leading the way uh, in terms of like how it goes. Uh, there was, I believe, one person in the comments potentially from yesterday's podcast where they had outlined the specific order uh, from masculine to feminine in the order of the 16. And I believe they got it right. I believe they got it right. I just have to verify it one more time, but I, I believe they did actually get it right. I only looked at it for like a few seconds before I moved on, but my initial reaction was, okay, yeah, they actually got it. That's, that's great. So 
you guys would probably find that comment around here somewhere. Shout out to the person who put it there. Thank you for going that far for everybody and figuring it out. Um, but people can use that as a working model for now. Uh, it's just that sometimes depending on like the, the one that get the one uh, that gives me pause in terms of its positioning is actually the ESFP, but I just need to go do some math again based on the little uh, modifiers that I've attached to each of the 16 types, et cetera, to be able to come up with uh, the actual list. And we're going to be releasing a document that has a little bit of a spectrum in place for people to uh, kind of see how that goes. But we're going to be doing the same thing with uh, social compatibility, professional compatibility, which we just did a professional compatibility episode for those that have been discussing uh, that subject matter in the members area for the Cutting Edge podcast, which if you haven't seen the Cutting Edge podcast, what the hell are you doing? We have over two years of podcasts done that barely anybody listens to, right? No, that's not true. Actually, most of the members actually listen to the Cutting Edge and it's a two hour episode every single month and it talks about basically things that I don't talk about on a regular basis, at least in the public. And it's basically anything cutting edge that myself or the team are doing. So you might want to watch or listen to the Cutting Edge podcast. It's available at csjoseph.life forward slash members. If you haven't checked that out, like, holy smokes, got a lot of crazy stuff in there. So you might want to check it out. All right. Make sure you do that. So with that being said, understanding where each of the 16 types of lands from a masculine or feminine point of view is really important from a psychological standpoint, very important. But we have to kind of look a little bit more into the nurtural side, or as Coach Jay would say, the macro side. We gotta look a little bit more at the macro to kind of get a more understanding. The problem is by going macro with it, it becomes far more subjective. I mean, it's already a very subjective conversation, just like I've been giving these little subjectivity disclaimers when it comes to discussing uh, masculine versus feminine traits. However, I maintain that probably this episode uh, within this entire season, and this season, oh my gosh, I think I got 15 episodes planned for it, maybe more. It might go all the way up to 30, not sure, especially since I'm going to be effectively adding the season four reshoot as part of season 31, updating it, making it more accurate for uh, today and uh, the current day's systems and values and whatnot, especially the insane plethora of books that I have read uh, since that time, which we'll also be discussing as well. So I'm going to be getting my son and I off the road here. Hey, little man. You good? Yeah. You're just trying to figure out what's going on, aren't you? Okay. (laughs) It's super cute. So that all being said, what is masculine behavior like in general? Like what is it? Now, a lot of people have a very hard time understanding masculine behavior. It's really easy to spot 
feminine or spot the feminine, especially when you're looking at, you know, women, because women who have, for example, a more hourglass shape with their physique, they just look, they just look more feminine. And the masculine is attracted to the feminine because the feminine is beautiful. And beauty basically is a sign of health. It's also a sign of strong genetics and strong childbearing capability. This is important to the masculine because the masculine likes to try out that beautiful garden before it puts children in that beautiful garden. And a lot of people just don't really understand that. Got to go try it out. Got to try out those tits. Got to try out that ass, you know, to make sure that, you know, my baby is going to be enjoying that just as much as I do. That is effectively, in general, how sexuality works. So, but when you go down to masculine behavior, it's actually pretty difficult to define. Feminine behavior is really easy. It's extremely easy. It could be easily captured in a video, in a photo, in a sound. It's very visceral. Femininity is very visceral, and so is, it's, so is feminine behavior. Masculine behavior, however, it's not so visceral. Um, because it's either in your face and then gone the next second later. So it's just, it, it's a moving target. You can't really see it very well. But over time, finally, you know, thanks to the age of the internet and, you know, what people would colloquially refer to as the manosphere and a bunch of authors, not to including the following, Roycey, Roosh, Rollo Tomasi, W. Anton, Mark Manson, Christopher Canwell, and the like. Uh, also, um, the author of The Way of Men, forgot his name, my bad. Carl Jung, in some cases, Plato in some cases, Socrates in some cases, and their contemporaries. Have uh, also ancient Egypt, talking about the sacred masculine and the sacred feminine. Each of these people and these groups have different definitions for what that exactly means and how that exactly works. Gotta love those. Uh... No, 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 no. Screw David Data. No, seriously. Is existential? You're talking about David Data? Uh-uh. Nope. No, thank you. Because David Data is an INFJ and he is super biased. And his advice literally is only for fellow Templar types or INFJs. And his book, Dear Lover, is so biased towards NFP women. So no, I am not listing David Data's name among that list. That man does not know what he's talking about, such that he presumes to think that his little TE trickster standard applies to literally everybody or all men or all women. And I just, I'm not okay with that. He's, he's seriously full of shit in that area. Now, if he was to make the claim that it applies to INFJ men and or NFJ men and NFP women with his work, okay, yeah, sure. You can go read The Way of the Superior Man. You can go read Dear Lover and gain those benefits if you are those types. But otherwise, I don't recommend anyone else read his work. I think it's a waste of time unless you're able to identify with him uh, psychologically or if you're built to have sexual experiences with people like him psychologically, etc., via psychological compatibility. So yeah, 
not uh, not down for that. Really not down for that. And this is why, like I've maintained, I just reject David Data to be among this group. It's just, no, not going to happen. So masculine behavior. Uh, I'm going to start quoting uh, Dave Powers here. Uh, good old Dave. How you doing, Dave? Uh, so Dave Powers, with an objective personality system, utilizes something called self over tribe or tribe over self as a way to identify indicators that would indicate certain people's uh, types. My issue with self over tribe or tribe over self as an indicator, as an accurate indicator, is because when you look at affiliative types, types who are constantly trying to do the right thing, they often put authorities or the tribe over self, but then so also at the same time do extroverted feelers. So an extroverted feeler could be pragmatic and then do that. Or there could be an introverted feeler who is affiliative and still do that. And this is why I maintain using the tribe over self or self over tribe is not the best indicator to utilize when you're typing with somebody. Now, this is not me making a dig on Dave because the way he has his system set up is that it fits in the general archetype that he's trying to go for in that regard. But overall, if we're going to look directly at the type grid, it doesn't fit at all. It does not fit at all. And it's it lacks consistency because of the weirdness between, you know, pragmatic FE users like myself or affiliative FI users, um, you know, putting tribe over self. But then you get into pragmatic FI users like ESFPs or ISFPs, and they consistently put self over tribe, right? Well, why does this matter? Why does it matter? Because masculine behavior, which is the most demonized and derided behavior in the culture in Western society, um, it's being aware of a person's personal sovereignty. It's like it's like self-sovereignty. And it can also be equated directly to um, responsible selfishness, right? And that can be an issue, responsible selfishness. Because who doesn't want to be selfish? Reminds me of a guy I know, uh, his dad, who was insanely abusive, definitely ENFP demon or ESTP demon, one of the two, not really sure. I could argue both. But this man had some insanely bad experiences as a child and uh, really just destroyed him, extremely traumatic, et cetera, for what he had to deal with. My heart goes out to him. A good sir, you know who you are, and uh, I'm sorry I had to deal with that bullshit. But his father is definitely an example of somebody who puts self over tribe, right? Definitely a huge example. But putting, but um, living your life from a self over tribe thing is definitely something that's necessary for a man to learn because that is the first building block or foundation of masculine behavior. So this man who has this struggle because he just doesn't want to be as abusive as his father. And he is afraid of basically becoming his father. He's had to avoid the first foundation or building blocks of what it means to become a man because he is consistently doing the model of tribe over self, which is the feminine way. That's the building block of the feminine, tribe over self. 
now you're like, okay, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. See, it's Joseph. What? Tribe over self is feminine? Oh, yes, it is. But we'll explain a little bit more about that. We'll explain. And this discussion takes, you know, a turn for the worst here because we're going to discuss everyone's favorite topic, and that is female solipsism. Solipsism is defined as the following. There is only the self, or there, there's the, the self is the only thing to be known in existence. That's what solipsism is. And women are solipsistic. They're naturally solipsistic. And because of that, uh, they are innately inborn entitled and inborn selfish, more selfish than men are by default. A lot of people have a huge problem with me saying that, but I will explain how, while that is the default, that's not where they end up in their life. A lot of people think that that's where they end up uh, or they stay that way. No, not necessarily. They, they don't. They don't. Because while that is a natural inborn behavior, naturally, women end up, you know, not that way as they get older. But let's talk about the natural inborn, innate, um, ingrained uh, behavior of men. Now, it's not solipsism. It's the opposite of solipsism. It's idealism or the masculine idealism. And this is kind of like that provider complex that 80% of men out there have, basically, where they're just really giving. And David Data, for example, talks about how men exist to give this great gift to the world, etc. He's all being all masculine idealistic when he says that. Too bad I have like no respect for him uh, because he doesn't even protect or even outline how dangerous of a uh, notion that is. He's not wrong, but it's being mismanaged. And men are insanely idealistic. This is why there's constant, there's consistently a problem between, you know, men's relationship equity that men put into relationships compared to uh, women's hypergamy, you know, their, their need for alpha uh, seed or beta need. Beta need means they want, uh, they want to be provided for, they want to have parental investment uh, from the men, etc. As, as an example, you know, alpha seed, they just want those super hot six pack men who have fitness and just do whatever they want, even treat their women like crap, they don't care, but they still want it and they can't explain why. That's the alpha seed part. So they're prioritizing higher alpha genetics at one point in their life, and then they're prioritizing beta male security and provisioning and protection and parenting, or as Tomasi would say, the three Ps, basically. So too bad there isn't a fourth P in there, you know, penis. That would be nice. Uh, so understand there is a stark difference there. So women start out in life due to their solipsism as being self over tribe, just kind of naturally with their solipsism. Men actually start out as tribe over self because they're masculine idealism. And you can see an example of masculine idealism in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, I believe it's chapter five, where, you know, Eve, uh, ends up, um, in a precarious situation, she goes to the tree of knowledge of good and evil and ends up eating the forbidden fruit. 
the forbidden fruit was mankind's graduation present in uh, the Garden of Eden after studying at the Tree of Life. But the Tree of Life fruit has spikes on it. It hurts to eat. It makes you vomit. It stings going down. It burns. It's really painful fruit because it's literally just harsh truth. That's the Tree of Life. It's harsh truth. And it doesn't taste very good. So naturally, you want to skip over to the end and go to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of knowledge is basically subjectivity, whereas the tree of life is objectivity in this model. And going over to the subjective tree, you have the serpent over there. And the serpent sells Eve or seduces Eve with the forbidden fruit. What is the forbidden fruit, pray tell, folks? It is sexuality. Eve had sex with the serpent, and she became impregnated by the serpent with her son Cain. She felt bad about not being a virgin anymore. She goes over and seduces Adam. And Adam should have been a man and should have rejected her because she literally cucked him. He got cucked. And, but instead, his masculine idealism was there. And because of his masculine idealism, he was like, oh, you know, yeah, you screwed me over, but I still love you anyway. And then he puts her on a pedestal, has sex with her, and she gets pregnant with Abel. And two children, two different fathers, it's called fraternal twins. Hashtag the real story of the Garden of Eden. So the point is, that's an example. The serpent was Eve's alpha seed, and Adam was Eve's beta need, essentially, with her hypergamy. A dualistic sexual um, strategy. Well, what Adam should have done, he should have been a man and not put his woman on a pedestal, actually. And he should have rejected Eve. He should have rejected her, completely rejected her. Who knows? Maybe God would have given Adam another woman. That would have been interesting. That would have been really interesting as a reward. Then, after that, he could have utilized that other woman and Eve to compete for his attention or to compete for his passion. Either one. Depends if he's an SI user or an NI user. If he's an SI user, he's compete for his attention. And then as a result, he would never have to really deal with any hypergamy problems again because they're consistently competing for like the rest of their lives, etc. If you don't believe me and you don't believe me about this concept, I suggest you read the book The Red Tent as soon as possible. It's a nice little historical fiction piece, but I'm not sure many people within this audience are ready for that discussion. So, with that being said, Adam made the mistake in the garden. He let down his masculinity because he put Eve on a pedestal because of his masculine idealism. Eve is naturally solipsistic. Adam is naturally idealistic. This is called masculine idealism versus feminine uh, solipsism, okay? And these are problems. These are huge problems that everyone has to deal with. You want to see those man-children out there? Man-children are men who are overly idealistic, especially about relationships. They believe in the soulmate myth, that there is a such thing as the one, or there is a such thing as a soulmate. One man, one woman, that kind of bullshit, committed relationship, bullshit, bullshit. And I tell you, it's bullshit. It's not actually real, okay? So... It's easy to spot a man-child because if they believe in the soulmate myth, they're not really a man. I'm sorry, guys. That's just a fact. 
that's just reality. So now you can practice the soulmate myth, but not also believe it at the same time. You don't want to believe it hook, line, and sinker, right? So with that being said, got to understand that Adam surrendering his masculinity and putting Eve on a pedestal, he committed idolatry. She was basically his idol. And he was effectively putting tribe over self because he was putting others above himself. That is the definition of the feminine. He was being feminine. So quite frankly, that's why God punished Adam because he just set aside his masculinity. For what? For pussy? That's literally what happened, guys. Because he put pussy above himself. And that's not masculine. He has to have, he should have had that abundance mindset where he's like, oh, I shouldn't chase my woman. I should replace my woman. Because he could have always just gone to God and asked me like, hey, uh, she kind of fucked me over. She fucked this other guy. You know, I like a different woman, please. Uh, the one you gave me just didn't really work out for me. I mean, she's cool and all. I'll admit I like her. I'm really attracted to her. But honestly, I, I think he kind of screwed up by giving me her instead of like somebody else, you know, someone who'd actually respect me, someone who would actually appreciate the amount of investment that I put into this relationship. You know, that's what he should have done. But no, he wanted to be a beta cuck and he allowed himself to get cucked by Eve. And here we are today with sin in the world and all that crap. And it's basically because of that imbalance, right? He put tribe over self. And that's the problem. So how do men deal with this? How do men deal with this? Because all men, like Adam, are born with the masculine idealism. And if the masculine idealism is not controlled, if it's not controlled, if it's not managed, they're man-children. Women don't even respect them. Because no woman wants a man to worship her. And that's exactly what Adam did in the garden. He worshipped Eve. No woman wants that. No woman desires that. And as much as a woman would tell you that they want to be the one and to like, oh, hey, yeah, like worship me and do all these nice things for me and everything, they don't really want that. If you're a man and you take your woman to the store and you buy her something without buying yourself something, oh my God, you're doing the exact opposite. You should just go to the store, buy yourself something and don't buy her a damn thing. How about that? How about that? Do that. Okay. That's what you should be doing because that's what she wants. She wants to see you enrich yourself. Think about it because women, let's be honest, women are sex objects. They are. And I don't care if you say, I don't see just if you're objectifying women. I don't care. Women are sex objects. Get over it. Men, however, are success objects. That's a fact. Men are, are success objects, and that also is an issue. So everyone objectifies everybody. So get over yourselves. Everybody objectifies everybody. So I don't want to hear it. Like, I just don't want to hear it. I'm tired of people being ignorant in this area of life because this area of life is the number one reason why our society is about to completely and utterly fail. The land itself would be utterly destroyed because 
of this problem right now. People just don't know how to be masculine. Women don't know how to be feminine either, right? So what is a man to do? How does he solve this problem? Well, after understanding the huge risks that were imposed by masculine idealism, where masculine idealism would be so focused on giving his gift to the world, giving his gift to his woman, his time, his energy, always being so giving, 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 because that's what masculine idealism is all about, being giving. The risk of that giving is that a man, or technically a man-child, would give so much without actually giving to himself. That's the risk. That's the actual problem. That's the problem. And he'd give, 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 and then he could even die. But would the female solipsism actually appreciate him? Would the women actually like love the fact that he gave his life, that he did this, he did that? No. It's a concept known as war brides. Basically, in times of war, women, when, they, when, when people were conquered, all the men were killed, some children were taken as slaves, and the women were taken as war brides, basically, and to propagate the new society of the conquerors, okay? And women emotionally can easily detach from men. But due to masculine idealism, men can't so easily detach from the women. That's a problem, right? It's a huge problem. So that's the issue with masculine idealism. It can get a man to the point where he's so giving that he'll end up losing his very life, completely losing his life, being absolutely 100% expendable as the you know, disposable sex, etc. So to combat this risk, something was invented by men, a ritual, to prevent this from happening. It's known as the rite of passage. And the rite of passage is so important to men because it literally is that moment in time where a boy who is suffering from a bad case of masculine idealism is all of a sudden realizing how dangerous that masculine idealism actually is. And he completely sets it aside. It's not even necessary to him as much anymore. It's not his main way of being. It's not his main drag. It's not his, you know, his preferred flavor of Doritos, if you know what I'm saying. So based on that, based on that, you have to get to, he had to do something else. And that's where the rite of passage comes in. A whole bunch of the older men get together. They see a boy is becoming sexually aware, but they know that if he gets involved, for example, with a woman, that he's at risk of his masculine idealism, putting that woman on a pedestal, which would ultimately lead to this boy's destruction. And there would be one less man in the village to protect the village, which would suck for all of them. So the rite of passage was invented. And the rite of passage basically is the boy is taken out of the village and he has to perform a ritual, a life-threatening, very life-threatening ritual. And this ritual means like he's going to die if he doesn't do it. If he doesn't do it right, he's going to die. A good example of this is in the movie The Emerald Forest. There's a boy who gets lost in the Amazon. He's raised by a tribe. He starts get, getting a crush on one of the girls in the tribe. 
and he wants to have sex with her and whatnot. The village elders figure that out, and then they kidnap him in the middle of the night, and then they tell him to his face, you have to die, and they're all dressed up and masked up so he can't tell who these people are, and they take him to the edge of a waterfall really far away from the village and throw him over the edge of the waterfall, and then they leave, leave him for dead, basically. This is what happens in this movie, The Emerald Forest. I highly recommend you watch it. Well, after throwing him, they all go back to the village. They take off their their interesting uh, ritual clothes that made them look like scary ghouls in the middle of the night and whatnot. And the boy is supposed to survive. That's the whole point. And he survives by getting out of the water safely, and he makes it back to the village. And then he is greeted by the men as a man. And they all cheer out, the boy is dead, the boy is dead, the man is alive, the man is alive. This is the rite of passage. Why is this important? Why does the rite of passage even matter? Well, it matters because without a rite of passage, a man has no idea. Because with that masculine idealism in place, the boy thinks that, you know, all adults are cool and the world is a good place and I could make my mark in the world and I can get my own slice of pie that is this life, etc. All that shit. They, they, that's just kind of how they see it. But then all of a sudden put into a life-threatening situation where they have absolutely nobody else to rely on except for their own selves for their own survival or else they are completely and utterly screwed. They start to realize that the whole tribe over self model is not actually that important. It's not actually something that is going to be a useful tool in keeping them alive when they're faced with the elements of the earth or dangerous situations. They realize it doesn't matter how idealistic they are as a man, that they're still not going to get a good result. This is the problem with all the entitled men that we have within society because, like, hey, there's a problem tribe over self, right? So the men learn that for the sake of their own survival and for the sake of their own lives through the rite of passage to always for the rest of their life, put self above tribe. Because even the tribe will throw you to the wolves. Even the tribe will throw you over the waterfall. At the end of the day, they have to rely on themselves and they have to survive no matter what. That's the difference. That's the truth of the matter. That's the only way. And then the masculine idealism is no longer primary because it is primary for a boy, but to a man, masculine idealism is secondary because they're putting themselves first. Let me give you some other examples before I move on to the feminine side. So some examples of this is A man in his life is a solar system, and he is the sun in the solar system, and he directs the orbits of all the other planets in his life, his life, the solar system. The man doesn't orbit anyone else. The boy orbits. You know, you can talk about the king of the gods, Zeus, also known as Jupiter. They say that Jupiter would be a would be a sun. It's a would be sun, but it's not a sun. It's a planet. And it still orbits the earth, yet Zeus is arrogant and thinks that he is the king of the gods, when in reality the situation is, no, he's not. It's the sun 
that's king because the sun determines the orbit for the rest of the planets in the solar system, not Jupiter. And then the sun's woman is Venus, naturally. And Venus, you know, it's so hard to open Venus because Venus has an almost near impenetrable atmosphere. And if Venus is not behaving properly, the sun will solar flare and a big whip of fire will come off the sun and knock that Venus back on course, potentially even opening up its atmosphere so that new life could be seeded upon the planet, for example. That is, after all, the first steps that would be required in terraforming Venus. You might want to look that up. If you also want a really nice fictional example of that, I recommend reading the short story, All Summer in a Day. I read that as a small child. I was forced to read it. I didn't want to, but I was forced to. So interesting that now that I'm in my early 30s, I can remember that story from, gosh, fifth grade, sixth grade, and now it's benefiting y'all. Go read all summer in a day. That's how that works. But the sun determines the orbits. And who orbits Venus? Well, that would be your woman's children, obviously. The little moons of Venus, those are the children, right? They orbit her, and she orbits you. So you must always be subconsciously aware of whose orbit you are in. Are you orbiting your woman? Are you one of your woman's orbiters with all those man-children who are being very idealistic. It's so hopeful. Hopeful they'll be able to get in her pants. You know what I'm saying? The reality of the situation is, no, that's not the case. You know, and, and just like, you know, Myron Gaines and people like him would say, you know, don't chase, replace. If your Venus gets off orbit, let her go. You'll get a new Venus or you'll get multiple Venus or Ven Venus I or whatever the plural is, Venus is, to, uh, to orbit you. Whatever. That's just how life works. That's the, the mindset of abundance that masculine men need to have because they are willing to put self over tribe. Well, let's rewind back to that gentleman that I was talking about earlier. He so desperately doesn't want to be his father because his father was so overly selfish and abusive. But what he has yet to realize that his father's masculinity of putting self above the tribe basically, um, had nothing to do with the abuse to begin with. And his mind is conflating that abuse when it shouldn't be making that They really don't have anything to do with one another. There's something else going on, something else pathological. So based on that, he needs to come to a, a better conclusion, a healthier conclusion, and realize that as a man, he needs to become responsibly selfish, responsibly selfish, so that he is putting self above tribe. And that has nothing to do with the abuses that his father put on him or his family or anyone in his life. That his father's twisted form of masculinity is not actually masculine per se, or it's more of a shadow type of it if you're going to use the Robert Moore Douglas Gillette variant. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. So after that, after that, you gotta let's let's look at let's look at the, the feminine side. So women, they are born innately, like a 
as soon as consciousness hits a woman, she is solipsistic by default. She is solipsistic. And women have a rite of passage. I was thankful that uh, someone uh, reminded me of what the female rite of passage actually is. They also have a rite of passage, but unlike the male rite of passage, which may or may not happen, almost always the female rite of passage will happen. And that's giving birth, basically. Giving birth. So, but we'll get to that in a second. So they're solipsistic. The only thing that they understand is the self, right? And this can really be seen in terms of management of expectations. Now, I'm not saying women are necessarily bad for being solipsistic or innately entitled, because they are entitled. However, when solipsism is out of control, then it becomes a problem. Then it becomes an issue. And solipsism right now is out of control because women can provide their own security. They can provide their own provisioning. They can provide for themselves everything a beta male or the beta male traits that their hypergamy seeks. They can provide it for themselves. So because they can provide it for themselves, their solipsism is actually even heightened. And this is where it gets bad. This is what makes women even more entitled which can be a serious problem because before things like epidurals and epidurals were invented by men, might I add, before things, uh, you know, putting those women on pedestals, right? Before epidurals, you know, for example, and even before then, uh, women could die in childbirth. They become insanely vulnerable. It's all about vulnerability. So they had to be selfish. They had to be entitled you know, to protect themselves because of how vulnerable they were, because men were not as vulnerable as they were, especially when it came to a sexual act. Uh, they had a lot more at stake than the men did immediately, whereas the men had a lot more at stake way later on, later in life. So this is because, you know, it's male legacy versus, you know, female uh, childbearing and upbringing uh, of children and childbearing, etc. So this ends up constituting a problem. You have entitled women, what do you do? What do you do for that? Well, before we had these amazing technologies like epidurals and affirmative action and uh, basically uh, gender prejudice uh, within society, uh, male space being destroyed, masculinity being destroyed, and uh, female space also losing its potency entirely and trading in for male, fake uh, male space motifs. Well, the feminine side has been also destroyed as well because women need to learn one thing in order to combat the solipsism or the entitlement. And that thing is humility. If you remember in season four, and I believe it was episode two, one or two, where I talk about how the source of beauty is actually humility. You can give me, and I use this example many times, a Victoria's Secret model, 17.5% body fat, smoking hot, has all the things going for her and everything, naked on my bed, demanding that I screw her, but I'm still going to refuse her and throw her into the dumpster. I'm not going to have anything to do with her because she's arrogant. She is arrogant. And she has to understand that what's between her legs is actually not that valuable. Nope not valuable, not really.
anyone can have sex. And, you know, women being solipsistic in this day and age are just like, they want prizes for just existing. Like, that's how bad it can get. And I've experienced that multiple times. Multiple times. Especially with my INTJX. Probably the, one of the more entitled women I've ever met in my life. I'm sure she's fantastically happy with where she is now. <laughs> well, whatever. The point is, is that when it comes to understanding the feminine, the feminine was supposed to learn humility from fellow women. The kind of humility where a woman realizes, oh crap, I'm fat. I should probably measure my food, track my calories, and go to the gym and make myself more desirable to, you know, so that I could potentially get a higher value man, etc. You know, but no, let's just focus on getting our career and our degree and waste all of our fertile years and then be married to a loser in my 30s because I couldn't uh, marry a winner because I spent all of my best years on my degree instead of on the winner man who I would potentially have a child with. This is why in my coaching practice, I recommend to women actually not care about their careers until after they've had a child with a high-value man. And then after that, they can work on their career. And oftentimes, when you literally ask women, like, hey, you know, what kind of lifestyle do you want when you're older? The kind of lifestyle with their solipsism, that they're, when their innate entitlement that they describe, you start to realize, well, shit. That's going to cost about $300,000 a year. You think your boyfriend's going to be able to make that? He's only 22 years old and you're 19. You think that's going to happen? The reality situation, it's not going to happen. The only men out there that make that kind of money are basically in their 40s or very late 30s. It's kind of necessary to give the, these women you know, a dose of reality because without that dose of reality, they're just, they're just going to expect so much more. And that's not going to work. That's not even going to help. So that can, that can seriously be a problem over time because they just have all these insanely high expectations. But that's the thing. Expectations. So allow me to demonstrate for you exactly what female solipsism looks like. So there is, without a doubt, that women are solipsistic when compared to men. Really. I really want you guys to see this. Because you have idealism, which is primary for men, and solipsism, which is primary for women, right? So how does this play out? It really plays out in terms of expectations. And you can go back to the tribe over self model or the self over tribe model. The internal or the, the introverted over the extroverted from a Jungian sexuality standpoint, okay? So when I say self over tribe, I'm literally saying that a person is putting the introverted above the extroverted. And that's what men need to do in their life. But women, when they start off in life, they start off with self over tribe being solipsistic. They place more value on the introverted than they do the extroverted with their own feminine behavior. That can be a problem. And it's a problem in terms of expectations expectations are the key. So you have expectations for yourself as a human being. You don't want to disappoint yourself who you are when you're 18 looking in the mirror and then you're 40 years old and you're like, hey, 
Am I really a disappointment? Did I disappoint myself? Did I disappoint my 18-year-old self? So every person out there has basically expectations, expectations that they place on their self. And then you have expectations that you place on other people, right? Well, let's talk about how expectations work and how expectations and managing expectations are the key to identifying female solipsism. And that's the following. Men have this thing that they do not place expectations on their women until they have placed those same expectations on themselves. Because masculine idealism is what forces men, psychologically speaking, in general, the majority of the time, because it is primary to men, to not put expectations on others that they don't expect them of themselves. Women, however, do the complete opposite. Women are perfectly okay with having a bunch of expectations for men, how tall he is, how much money he makes, does he work out, uh, does, is he clean cut, does he have hygiene, uh, what kind of clothes does he wear, what kind of car does he drive, does he have a house, what kind of assets, what, what's his portfolio, how many streams of income does he have, etc. And women are completely content to have their expectations on men and make sure that their men meet their expectations, even though expectations that women should have for themselves are optional. Because to a man, his own expectations for himself are not optional, but the expectations that he would have for a woman are optional where it's completely the opposite. That's masculine idealism, okay? It's completely opposite with women. Women have tons of expectations for men, but when it comes to, and they, and they, and they, those are not optional. Those expectations are not optional when compared to the expectations that women have for themselves. Those are optional and they treat them as optional. You see women enforcing expectations on men all the time, but they don't even enforce those expectations on themselves. And it's so pathetic, and it's so sad, and it's so hilarious. And that's because of female solipsism. And now in today's society, in Western society, that has been multiplied by the nth degree, big time, where you have open solipsism, open entitlement in women, especially women who have not been raised by with, with their father around. Uh, that could be a serious issue. And because of that, oftentimes men in general, when they see a woman's behavior who has not been raised with their father around compared to a woman who has been raised with her father around, she is far more solipsistic. He determines she is a liability. So she gets demoted from potentially being a mother or a committed relationship. And she gets demoted to side action, basically, in his view. And I would agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that. Because fathers and the masculinity provided by fathers, fathers are willing to criticize their children more so than mothers are. Mothers, statistically, are far more enabling towards children than fathers. Because mothers are innately focused on the childhood of the child and to give the child a good childhood. But fathers are more focused on giving a child a good adulthood. 
And the reason why we have so many entitled millennials, Generation Z and Alpha Generation out there, we have so many entitled people is because they are fatherless, which is why this channel exists to put a stop to fatherlessness, which is why I'm delivering this lecture now. So women, you need to curb your solipsism. How do you do that? There's only one way and that's humility. Humility is the key to beauty. Humility is what sets a woman apart from other women. You want to be a high value woman, you need to humble yourself. And this is what the cartel of the mature feminine has been trying to teach women. Because the cartel of the mature feminine would teach women, hey, don't give yourself away so cheaply, even if you feel cheap. You need to humble yourself and realize that you are cheap. You're cheap if you have sex with lots of men because you got a lot of mileage on that body. Men don't like mileage on that body. Sorry, that's just reality. And so you should limit your partners whenever you can, as much as you can. And then also you need to take care of that body. Treat it like a temple. Why aren't you in the gym? Why aren't you measuring your calories? Why aren't you cutting or bulking or you know maintaining? Why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you going to Planet Fitness three times a week, etc.? You have to humble yourself. But it takes a lot of humility for a woman to admit that to fellow women. It's extremely hard for a woman to subject herself to the criticism of fellow women. But criticism is where wisdom comes from because the pain of criticism reveals the truth. And then they could have the benefits of that truth and that wisdom so that they can engage and humble themselves. Because here's the truth, folks. If a woman cannot humble herself around fellow women, then she will not, she's not wife material. She'll never be a high value woman. She will never get over her solipsism and be on the beautiful path to humility. Even some of the more ugly women out there with, you know, maybe they got scars on their face, for example. Here's a, here's a great example. In Twilight, there's a scene in Twilight, New Moon, the movie. Jacob Black is there with the wolf pack and their women, etc., who they've imprinted. He hasn't imprinted on yet. And the alpha of the wood pack, uh, wolf pack, his wife comes out, etc. And she's got scratches and marks and wounds and scars all over her face. I tell you the truth, out of all the women in that scene, she was absolutely the most beautiful one, even though she's the one who has all these scars all over her face because of the humility that was bleeding out of her. And humility is how you could separate the girls from the women. The high value women are the ones who have the most humility. That's the difference. The high value man is the man who is willing to put himself above everybody else and allow himself to be responsibly selfish. Where he is able to go to the cult of the mature masculine and submit to the cult of the mature masculine such that anytime they tell him or they question his masculinity, he rises to the occasion and he proves them wrong because it keeps him sharp. It keeps him putting himself above everybody else. But in this socio-communistic NF-related or affiliative environment that we call the United States of America or Western society, masculinity is not even allowed in church. Because, oh, you're too selfish. You're too selfish. 
you're narcissistic. Masculinity is narcissistic, right? No. The thing is, if you as a man avoid narcissism your whole life, you're never going to get laid. That's the reality of the situation. So, you know, that's a problem. You have to let go of that masculine idealism that is holding you back from putting yourself above the tribe. Women, you need to humble yourselves so that you can be more comfortable with putting tribe above self. Don't believe me? Read Proverbs chapter 31, which describes the wife of noble character. Read the book of Esther. Understand how Esther became queen and still saved her people through humility and showing respect to her husband. Or how Ruth got with a much older rich man, Boaz, and they got it on before they got married. Read these things. Understand these things. It's a big issue. It's a big problem. And a lot of people just don't understand the differences, you know. So it doesn't matter which of the 16 types you are. If you're a man and you're, you're not, and you're orbiting somebody else, you're putting tribe above self, you're wrong. You're not a man. You're a boy. You're a man child. Because it's like you're going out of your way to see what you can do for women. It's, it's like, what can I do to attract her? What can I do to please her? No, 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 no. You got to change your thinking. Your thinking needs to be the following. What can she do to attract me? What makes her so special? What makes her so good? That's the difference. That's the key for men. You don't orbit anyone. They orbit you. And that's not selfish. It's righteous. Because that's what it means to be masculine. Women, you have to learn how to humble yourselves. You have to be willing to admit that you're not all that in a bag of chips, as I would say in season four. You're not really that special. You're not that important. What you have between your legs is not a temple where people worship. That's not, that's not, that's not what that's for. No. You need to take control of your sexuality and understand the implications of it. You need to humble yourself and recognize that, yeah, women in the past didn't have it as good as you, but they were far more happier. Here's an example. Women never used to smoke. They didn't care about smoking. They just really didn't care. My grandmother, she's an ESFJ. She's still alive. She grew up in the Great Depression. And she was there for the women's suffrage movement and women's right to vote. And she's like, most women in those days didn't even care. We didn't care about the right to vote. It wasn't a priority for us. It wasn't this big triumph that everyone thinks it was. It was just another day. No one really cared. She also says, you know, when women started smoking and whatnot, no one cared about that either because women just didn't care about smoking. They just made it sexy. And then all of a sudden it was important. Kind of interesting how the only time something appeals to a woman is if it, if it is able to increase her sexuality because women are technically sex objects while men are success objects. I want to keep that in distinction and make no mistake. Keep that in mind. You know, a real man realizes that he is not his brother's keeper. He has personal sovereignty. His solar system is itself a sovereign nation. A great example of that would be um, a character by the name of Raven. Uh, 
Dmitry Ravanov, a character in, a, in my most favorite book ever, Snow Crash. As a fiction book, I read it recently. It's fantastic. And he is a very shadow-focused ESTP, very vengeful ESTP. But he is treated as a sovereign nation because he has his own nuclear bomb with him at all times. And if he dies or if his heart stops beating or if his brain activity goes away, then the bomb explodes. So everyone treats him with absolute, the absolute highest respect. Because if he dies, everyone around him dies, basically. And that's the point. He is a sovereign nation. Every man out there, in order for you to actually be a man, you need to treat yourself like a sovereign nation and expect everybody else around you to treat you like a sovereign nation. You can imagine how much of a threat masculinity would be to the system as a result of that notion. Because masculinity would thus produce great risk, great risk, maybe even lead to rebellion. Because if all of the men in the world put self above tribe and had the self-respect to do so, imagine how society would change. It would change drastically. Don't worry, it's coming. Mark my words, it's coming. So, these are all very important things. These are the definitions of masculinity versus femininity. A feminine is pliable, it's deferential, it responds. The masculine, it initiates the yang energy versus the yin energy, the feminine energy. That's what it's all about, folks. You are the sun in your solar system if you are a man. If you're a woman, you're orbiting a sun, a sun of your choice. But it better be a sun, and it better have a really nice gravitational pull, and it better have a lot of energy and a really big solar flare whip for you, but also to stave off those threats, for example, and also for him to continue to expand his solar system and its power, for he is a sovereign nation, and you are the queen of that sovereign nation. All it takes is a little humility. If you found this lecture useful, helpful, educational, uh, enlightening, please leave a comment below and please also subscribe to the channel. I'd really appreciate some uh, support uh, from everybody so that we can get to 100,000 uh, subscribers. That would be awesome. And uh, also uh, leave a like while you're at it. Uh, there's 131 people watching this right now, but not enough likes. So like, seriously, put in some likes. If you guys want to keep uh, seeing consistent content from me, well, Please uh, do your part, etc. So, anyway, uh, I'll see you guys uh, for episode four in the very near future. And uh, with all that being said, folks, I'll see you guys tonight.